Hola, thank you for tuning in to the Century Leadership Podcast. My name is Jordan Matthew Ward and I am your host. Century Leadership is a culture of resources and relationships for spiritual leaders. Today we have a very, very, very special guest on the show. The one and only Larry Osborne of North Coast Church out in California. Now, if this is your first time tuning in with us today, you may be asking yourself, what is a century leader? Well, I'm glad you asked. A century leader is a person who engages in personal development, is a forward thinker, and is passionate about the next generation of spiritual leaders. Talking with this guy was really awesome. Um, He's very down to earth. Uh, He's very humble. Um, from the conversation that we had, I know I don't know him super well, but just the feeling that I had of just chatting with him, hearing some of his story, um, hearing about his journey in leadership and even authoring nine books. Uh, he seems very humble and down to earth. He doesn't seem like he's too full of himself or um, like he, he's got this big celebrity status or anything. He's just very humble, um, normal guy. And uh, he just made me feel like I was having a conversation um, with just a regular person on the street and just kind of sharing experiences with him. And so that was awesome. I even got a little personal with him and asked him some questions um, about my own personal walk with the Lord and my own personal um, role in leadership. And the things Larry had to say to me uh, were very practical. Um, were very um, just awesome. Uh, his take and his perspective is very unique. And so I think you'll enjoy the interview as much as I did. Um, so without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it and hear what Larry has to say. Um, one of the first things that I like to do just to kind of get to know each other a little bit before we jump into the, the deep stuff is to ask uh, what I like to call the first five. Um, they're five random questions um, just to get to know you, your likes, dislikes, and some of your hobbies. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Yep. All right, perfect. So the first question I have for you is, are you a dog or cat guy? Uh, neither. Neither. Okay. I, neither. I just assume somebody else have the pet and then I don't have to pick up the poop. <laughs> Were there any like bad experiences that you had like growing up or anything with pets or you just don't like them? Oh, like every little boy, I had to have a dog. My dad got me one, but I never took care of him enough. So, you know, they found him a good home and yeah. then we moved to the house we're in right now. The previous owners left a cat. Oh, uh, behind, so uh, that became my daughter's cat. So we did have a cat for a while, but uh, you know, again, <laughs> it wasn't my choice. Okay, I see. Uh, so my wife and I, uh, we've been married for six months, uh, going on seven, and she has definitely turned me into a dog guy. Uh, she's the biggest <laughs> dog lover in the world. So yeah, we got dogs running around our place. Yeah, well, that's like having forever little kids. Because you can't go anywhere without worrying about the dog or yeah. getting back to feed them. Yeah, for sure. We, that's the first thing we have to think about whenever we go on vacation or anything. So, but they're fun. Okay, next question. Um, favorite sport? Basketball, without a question. Nice. Uh, I I played it, and then I just love the teamwork and a good team. Oh yeah, for sure. Who's your team? Favorite team? Right now, I, well, I've been a Laker fan all my life, little kid on, but. Okay. Uh, 
right now it's hard to say to somebody from Oklahoma City, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <Warriors. laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I like the Warriors before and since they. Uh, play really good team ball nice yeah yeah they do and i i am pretty bitter but um can't deny you know <laughs> talent is talent so i was actually gonna ask were, were you uh were you pretty sad when uh when kobe when kobe left when he retired oh no it, it was time for him to go yeah refused before so, yeah it was uh, dr dr Buss, who used to own the lakers was a great owner once he gave it to his uh his son was uh, not quite the same thing Interesting, interesting. Okay, yeah, I I uh I grew up with Kobe, so I was uh I was pretty sad to see him go. It, and it definitely was time, but it was just so yeah. surreal seeing him like hang it up. I just never thought I would see that. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> okay, next question. Um if you could relive any decade, which would you relive and why? You know, I I am so in the present and the future mm-hmm. uh as a as a personality, that's a really hard question for mm-hmm. me. You know, I'd probably go back to the uh, mid seventies, mid eighties. So okay. you have to pick one of those. Just being a a, a young adult, yeah. uh, so having both youth and uh, some sense of uh, freedom in adulthood. Yeah. But uh, I like to date better than I like then. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of future and present oriented person. The past never is very rose colored for me. Awesome. That that's a good uh, that's a good answer. Uh, I always uh, one of the other ways I kind of ask that question is if you could bring back um, the movies, the music, and the culture of a certain decade. Um, what would it be? Just because I I you know kind of grew up in the '90s, and so those are like to me like the golden years, and I remember all the movies and the cartoons from when I was a kid, the music and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. I think most everybody tends to have a golden age of your early adulthood when yeah. you're uh, uh, have the best of both worlds. Yeah. You have uh, an umbrella of protection around you at the same time you're getting lots of independence. So I'd have to go back to the, the mid-70s is uh, nice. probably my, my time. Nice. Okay, next question. Uh, favorite film? Favorite what? Favorite film. Movie. Favorite film. You know, I have a thing called facial recognition blindness, which uh-huh. means uh, facial imprints don't uh, imprint well for me. Uh-huh. So people tend to look alike. Uh, I couldn't do well on a police lineup. So because of that, I've never liked very many movies because I can't follow the subplots. Interesting. If the, uh, if the key character is having a meal with a woman that's not his wife, but she's got blonde hair or brown hair. Yeah. Uh, I won't even catch it. Wow. Uh, so I, we did not know I had that till later in life, but it explained why I was never a huge, uh, huge movie fan. So I don't really have one that jumps out. I mean, I've probably seen, you know, 60 to a hundred in my lifetime right. still, cause you can get to see movies. So yeah. I'd probably go back to the original star Wars. Okay. First time that sucker came out was like being a little kid going to Disneyland. Nice. It's, it's cheesy now, but back then it was kind of mind blowing. Yeah, for sure. I that's one thing I've always been interested in because I, I I would say I'm a movie lover, and um, it's hard for me. I'm almost I'm almost thirty. I'll be thirty in or October, and so it's it's hard for me to appreciate movies like that the same way people did, you know, when it first came out and it's like cutting edge technology yeah, yeah. and whatnot. But I, I did go yeah, back and rewatch and, and I, 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 I would say I appreciated it just for, for what it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, it had it had visuals that no one had done before. It'd be like the Matrix. You know, the right. first time they came out with some of its scenes. Right. Where you just went, how did they do that 360? Uh, nice. But, yeah, once something's done, then everybody's doing it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last one. Um, what musician are you currently listening to the most? Oh, Amy Winehouse is probably right now my favorite. Okay, interesting. I uh, I don't think I've ever listened to very much of her music at all, but I I kind of I've seen you know obviously she's she was in the news a lot just from the everything that happened. Um, any yeah, particular? Kind of, kind of, well, uh, she's just kind of a, a lot of angst, yeah, uh, and uh, just a, a great uh, kind of jazz. Yeah, singer. Either that or the Foo Fighters. Nice. Either two, I like that. Man, the Foo Fighters are. I I used to like them a lot, and uh, I haven't listened to them too much recently. But um, man, their story and a lot of their behind the scenes stuff is really really good. Like their documentaries. Have you seen? Uh, uh-uh. no, not really. Oh man, I mean, I, yeah, they're pretty I, good. I, I, I know the story. It's pretty cool to be just a drummer writing a few songs for yourself. And, yeah, you know, show them to a few friends. The next thing you know, you guys blow up. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, just kind of keep rolling. And uh, one one of the things I kind of wanted to focus on uh, for this episode of this podcast is just kind of like hearing some of your story. Because um, I think a lot of times with church culture and things like that, especially if you're an author, you know, now it, it can tend to be, uh, in these types of scenarios anyways, it can tend to be more about the material and the teaching and less about you as a person and kind of like where you came from and your story. Um, so Mm -hmm. I just kind of wanted to take some time to hear a little bit of where you're from, you know, what your upbringing was like and, um, maybe your family life from, uh, your upbringing. Sure. Sure. Well, I grew up one of three kids in Southern California. So I've lived all my life in Southern California. So is my wife. So in a sense, we're fish and water here. You know, very second nature to understand the, the culture and kind of what goes on here. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I grew up in just a, a really healthy family environment. My dad and mom are still alive to this day and in very good health. Mm-hmm. Um, dad was a school teacher, then a principal. Mom would stay at home. Mom, until uh, we got to college, and then she got a job uh, to help, help pay for that. But. Okay. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm just one of those lucky uh, guys. I, I don't have any sort of a father wound. I run into people all the time uh-huh. uh, who uh, I just see a lot of insecurity and stuff in their life that traces back to uh, right. to a father wound. But uh, I, I just really had none of that. Uh, I had a dad who didn't push me, loved me. Whether yeah, Again, I played some basketball. He didn't care whether I scored 20 points or, or came off the bench. Uh, he would uh, just be there encouraging, proud of his son. So that's awesome. You know, theologically and in the walk with God, that's that's had huge impact because I've never really struggled with an angry God or wow. a performance God. Okay, um, I'm gonna live my life spiritually like I lived my life as a as a young kid and a young man. That's just awesome. Do my best, take a nap, and it's okay. That that's awesome. So, would you say that? Um, as far as faith goes, uh, your parents and, and the way they lived their faith had a, had a big impact on you and your, your beliefs in God. Oh, massive. I mean, I was, I was a black sheep of the kids and I came to Jesus later, uh-huh. uh, just 
uh, last year of high school. Uh, so I didn't so much adopt their their faith as I was the kind of uh, independent thinker who had to figure out his own. But uh-huh. as far as as how to how to do marriage, how to raise kids, how to make life decisions, all of that, I'm a reflection of my mom and dad. That's um, awesome. They, they did really well. All, all three of their kids. They both came out of cesspools, oh, uh, wow. and then and then came to the Lord. And they're now, you know, they've got I don't know eight great grandkids or whatever, and everyone's walking with the Lord. It's uh, that's awesome. It's almost one of those kind of miracle stories, and they're just just salt of the earth, yeah. simple people. You know, they weren't theologians, weren't hard driven. They were just what a Christian's supposed to be. Yeah. And it's very easy for each generation to pick up and say, we want to be like them. Yeah, man, that's amazing. And I, I, I kind of relate to that because my parents, um, they're believers. Uh, my mom was very heavily involved in church and ministry and, and even just, you know, her own relationship with God, I would say a little more than my dad. And I, to me, thinking back, she never forced it on me, but just the simple fact of me, like I vividly remember times like waking up at like two or three in the morning to like go to the bathroom and get a drink of water. And I would see my mom like up praying like that early in the morning. And so that is what ministered to me and spoke to me and witnessed to me even more so than her saying, Hey, get up. It's time for church or, you know, trying to, to teach me about Jesus. Um, in like a sit down conversation type of thing. Like the little things, like just seeing her praying had the most profound effect on me. And so I, I kind of agree, uh, because I, I, from what it seems is that your parents didn't try to like force it on you or anything. They just kind of let you um, find your no, way. No, no. And they were, they weren't even high passion people. You know, so I have no memories of seeing dad up at 3am with his Bible and all that. I just, he was a, just a good man. Yeah. You know, there's a verse, there's a verse in Thessalonians that talks about work with your hands, uh, live a quiet life and mind your own business. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and there's, there's that quiet kind of Christianity that gets put down by leaders often as if everybody's supposed to be a hyper dog of high passion. Right. And, uh, what I got a just incredible model from my mom and dad is, no, you can just be a guy in the community. Just yeah. be a good man that your co-workers respect. You don't have to be some leader or teacher or theologian or hyper-dog fashion. Yeah. Just just walk quietly. And that's had a huge impact on my life. You know, if people yeah. read my books, I'm often, people tell me that for a leader, you have a heart for the little guy. And I go, well, yeah, I do. Because my dad taught me that Christianity isn't about all the outward Flash. Yeah. It's much more about just the, the quiet inner whisper. That is so awesome. I couldn't agree more. That That's awesome. I even think of the scripture where it says, uh, it's talking about Jesus and how there's nothing about him that was like super attractive that attracted people to him. Um, so yeah, that that's awesome. Uh, so you, you're saying that you, you didn't come to Jesus until later. You're saying, uh, did you say later in high school? Yeah, it was right before my senior year of high school. I, I was one of those kind of 180 kids where if you go back to reunion, they go, you're a pastor. How bizarre is that? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I so t- it was, was kind of quick and uh, a hard U-turn. Uh-huh. So kind of uh, walk me through that, uh, 
from from my I guess from my opinion, it always seems to me that when a person is telling their testimony, there's always that point where something happened. Like there's a moment where something happened, whether it was crazy dramatic or it was just you know a small um, nudge. Like there was something that happened. And so would you say that was there was like an event that took place where the Lord said something to you or showed something to you? Well, there was just a period of, of time and people and a little bit of emptiness that kind of how it was living wasn't working real well. And mm-hmm. I went on a, a camp that had uh, kind of extensive uh, free time built into it and some longer bus trips. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I was just, you know, you're at a camp doing these things you're supposed to. So I'm trying to read through the book of Matthew. And when I started it, I probably would have called myself a Christian. And when I finished, I, I don't know. I just went, this is true. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel a little like C.S. Lewis didn't, couldn't pinpoint what or when. I, I just knew the beginning of that bus trip, the Bible was kind of a helpful spiritual book. And when I finished, it was, this is the word of God. Everything in it's true. I need to live by it. I need to learn it. I need to help people know it. Yeah, so for sure. I have no clue how that happened. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously it was in a, an important time because it, it shaped you into to who you are today. So that's... Yeah, it, it stuck, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so so in terms of you getting involved with with ministry and and the leadership side of things, was that something that you consciously said... I need to to lead, I need to be a leader, or do you feel like that kind of naturally happened or like God brought you into that naturally? I think it just more naturally happened. Leaders turn around and people are following them. Uh, you know, if, if God's going to gift you with a gift of health and mercy, he's probably going to expose you to needy situations and you're going to find from the inside out there's a greater sense of compassion than normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's going to gift you as a teacher... Uh, you just have a hunger for the word that's different than the spiritual sense of wanting to know what God wants. In fact, that's often the mistake pastors and Bible teachers make, because if he's going to make you a teacher, he's probably going to birth in you a unique hunger for the word. And then they Mm -hmm. want everybody else to be the same kind of hungry Bible scholar they are. Wow. So so good. I just, I just had a huge interest in the Bible. And then I found out whenever I discussed it, or whenever I tried to teach it to my peers, they wanted to listen. So yeah. uh, probably within about a, a year or so, I was teaching Bible study to my house, and people were coming. That's and awesome. they kept coming back. So, oh, I guess I, you know, I said, oh, I guess I have a gift to teaching. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't I got to be a leader. It was, this stuff is amazingly interesting. Everybody needs to know it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't like to ever confuse that with that, I'm particularly spiritual. That's exactly what I would expect if God gave you a gift of teaching. Right. Man, that's good. Uh, that even kind of uh, takes me back to some of my earlier days. Um, I got saved when I was, was about 18. And uh, I was just like, as soon as I, I grew up in church and everything. And, and you know, my parents kind of raised me to, to believe in Jesus, but I didn't really um, take that too seriously until, uh, after I graduated high school. And so once I had that moment or 
um, those moments of realizing that God is really real. I tried to evangelize everyone I knew, their dog, their cat, everyone. <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I kind of, I, I under, totally understand what you're saying that, um, he'll birth a hunger for you, uh, in the word and you'll just, you know, it, it's more of a natural thing. Um, and I can remember kind of doing some of the same things of trying to just have little Bible studies with my friends and whatnot. Um, is there a particular moment where you kind of realized for sure that God was calling you into a more serious position of leadership? Um, yes and no. I mean, there was a sense of, again, if God gives you for things, you tend to be pulled towards them. Right. So I found myself looking at leaders and sometimes some well-known Bible teachers or whatever, sitting in the audience wondering what it would be like to be doing that. Uh, I don't know if everybody does that or not, to tell you the truth. I just know that there was a sense, but there wasn't a huge drive. It was just like, well, I'd like to do that on a small level. Mm-hmm. Uh, never having any idea it would become the size and level that it is now, but it's like, well, that would be cool. Right. But again, uh, I think there's a, a ton of things that God's at work in our life individually that doesn't always carry over the same in everybody else's life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a growing sense of, yeah, I'd like to do that, but it also came with a sense that I'm pretty good at it. Right. Uh, I, again, I mentioned earlier I, I played some basketball. Well, yeah, I would watch the varsity play and dream that I could do that, but I probably wouldn't have dreamed that I could do that if I didn't play pretty well in the junior high court. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, you know, success breeds interest and then interest breeds practice. It's kind of a cycle. Mm-hmm. Man, that's good. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to ask you, and, and the reason why I'm kind of hanging out on this topic and kind of pausing right here is because I think that there is a tendency for, for people who are, gifted to teach or gifted with some type of ministry gifting to have those moments of, of asking themselves, is this something that I really should pursue? Is this something that God is really calling me to do? Or is it something that I just do a decent job at and am not really called to be in ministry? I think a lot of people, um, kind of struggle with that. Have you ever had those type of thoughts? Cause I, I know I definitely have. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I think God is calling me into like formal vocational ministry. And then other times I'm like, yeah, but I don't know because you know, it hasn't worked out in the past. So maybe he's not calling me into that. Like, what would you say to that? Well, I would say it's, it's, it all goes back to a problem that we have in our culture and our churches, because I call it gift projection. Everybody projects their gifts and callings on everybody else. Mm. And so when a, and a leader has a platform to do it, a person with gifts and helps and mercy doesn't have the platform. They do it just as well. Uh-huh. They think everybody else should be like them. Interesting. And, okay. and I think what happens is, is leaders mistakenly, uh, send a message that leadership is the last rung on the discipleship ladder. Mm. So you climb all the way, and if you climb to the very top, you are a leader. And if you climb to the really top, you're in vocational ministry. Wow. And and that's just garbage. Uh, you know, we're all, there's a priesthood of believers. People ask me, are my kids in ministry? I go, yeah, all three of them. Then they mm. go, well, what do they do? I go, 
one's a C-suite officer for a software firm, another's a school teacher, and another does uh, real estate and estimating for really large government contracts. And they look wow. at me like, what kind of church do you have? That's, and I go, that's oh, awesome. Yeah, you meant vocational ministry. No, my kids serve Jesus for free. I'm the only one that has to be paid. That's so awesome. That, yeah, that's where we mess it up, is we're all called to ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just get different assignments. And whenever whenever leadership is, is somehow assumed to be a higher rung on the ladder, it's wrong. It's a different ladder, completely. Wow. You know, it flows out of discipleship, but... Uh, you know, Jesus said, if you want to be first or second, you have to do servant leadership. He didn't say everybody does. Wow. Uh, to Timothy, he said, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, they aspire a noble task. He didn't say, you need to make sure everybody does. And that's a mistake. And that's why, to me, the verses about living a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, they're too often neglected by leaders who can't figure that out. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no much of the body of Christ there's there's nothing wrong with being a follower uh, that's nothing wrong with that at all wow. a disciple is one who follows Jesus wherever it takes him that's awesome man that, that's good stuff thank you so much for that that to me I'm just I uh, podcast aside I'm really like talking from you know from my experience and kind of some of the questions that I've had and that I that is an awesome reminder to me because I remember there's a point in my relationship with the Lord where um, it was pretty early on and I, I'd been doing Bible studies and whatnot. And, and some of my friends were saying, you know, are you going to become a pastor? Are you going to do this and that? And I remember at one point saying, and I was probably being a little overly passionate, but one of the things I said was, um, I don't really mind like what my job is. Um, I would even scrub toilets like for the rest of my life if that's what like God would have me do. And I, there are times where I just, I don't feel like that anymore or I, I forget that that was the posture of my heart at one point. And so hearing you say that kind of brought up those memories for me of just saying like, it doesn't matter where I'm at. Like he'll use me anyway. Well, the truth of the matter is when you're in professional ministry, uh, whether you're a lead pastor of a small church, a huge church, or a staff member, you're just equipping people who are out on the front lines. The, the, you know, the front lines are not the pastors. Mm-hmm. When all the pastors and missionaries were kicked out of China, God began to work very powerfully. Uh-huh. We always get the idea that the pastors and missionaries and writers and teachers were the most important. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not the most important at all. Right. Um, the most the most important are the people in the marketplace that, bear the name of Jesus and live like it. Man, that's uh, good. That's good stuff. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was, that's some good stuff. Um, I did want to shift gears a little bit and, uh, kind of talk about some of your books. Sure. Um, so I did Google you real quick, uh, earlier today and saw that you had quite a few books. Um, how did that, start for you? Did you just literally like the light bulb come on one day and say, I need to write a book? Did God give you some (laughs) crazy divine message that you need to start writing books? Like, how did that happen? No, I, I, you know, I'm a gifted leader and fairly articulate at that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people would come to me and 
ask me for consulting or help or whatever with leadership. So I write in two areas. I write about leadership and I write about spiritual formation or discipleship. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit like a, a writer who writes mystery novels and cookbooks. Like, mm-hmm. which one is it? <laughs> uh, but to me, they're both important because leadership without discipleship is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And discipleship without leadership is just a pipe dream. Right. So I write on both of them. But for me, it was people came to me. You know, they're introverts reflect, journal, and write to find themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, extroverts don't. And I happen to be an extrovert. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have probably 30 journals all with three pages in them. So the only time I write is uh, because somebody came to me and said, will you write this? And uh, there's a deadline. And, you know, I mean, I'm passionate about what I write, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I don't write and then try to get somebody to publish it. I write because I have a passion. And somebody comes to me and says, hey, will you sign this contract and get me the manuscript by XYZ date? Mm -hmm. Uh, So... You know, writing to me is more a reflection out of what I'm doing and people coming asking me to write than it was me wanting to write. Like, I don't like writing. I like having written. Interesting. Interesting. I So I, I've never written any books or anything. I imagine that it is a very long and possibly uh, painful, stressful process at times. Uh, sure. Yeah, de- Definitely. It's like it's like writing term papers forever. Oh man! <laughs> uh, so would you say that's kind of the biggest challenge is just kind of staying motivated to keep going? Well, and that's why I only write to deadlines. When you have a deadline, you do something. Mm-hmm. So okay. For me, the biggest challenge is I have books in my head, but if I don't have a contract and a deadline, mm-hmm. they're never going to be written because wow. I don't know. I I have to have a deadline. Right. So once I have a deadline, then it's just the stress of the deadline that uh, pushes you. But it's also what motivates you. So it's both a good and a bad. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any any of them that are particularly? Um, how am I trying to word this? Are are do you have a favorite, or are any well, of them closer yeah, to you than others? Well, I have a, probably my spiritual life or discipleship books are my favorite because that to me is the most important. Probably the most influential are my sticky team, sticky church, sticky leaders, ones that, you know, have sold quite well and leaders in all kinds of different tribes use. Mm-hmm. So that's very encouraging because you're helping lots of people. But, um, you know, it's, it's like asking which of my kids do I like best. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I like accidental Pharisees a ton. I like thriving in Babylon a ton. Uh, you know, it's just, it's to me, well, what's the last one I wrote? Yeah. So it's, it's, I like all my kids. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I imagine it would be hard to pick a favorite. I do uh, a lot of, um, video production kind of as a hobby. And, uh, I started doing these, um, Bible study videos like back in 2014 and some of them were terrible. Some of them were better. Um, but I found that like through each one of them, I kind of learned something new about producing videos or I learned something new about just speaking in front of a camera. And so it was kind of hard to pick one or the other 
just based on that, you know, you learn something different or each one has its own experience. Um, Mm -hmm. so would you say that's the same kind of for your, for your books? Yeah, very much. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, one of the things I thought of actually when I was, uh, I looked at your site and I saw those books was, uh, a book I read, uh, a while back and I don't remember the title, but it was, it was a short book and it was a, a Christian author who was trying to go through and show how, um, most of the founding fathers had at least some level of faith. And the purpose in him writing this book was to show what, uh, these founding fathers poured their life into outside of like politics and whatnot. And they each poured, um, a lot of time and effort into things that would outlast them, uh, like either writing books or starting schools or starting ministries or whatnot. And that's what I thought of when I, when I looked at your site and I saw all these books, I was like, man, this guy, like long after he's gone from this planet, these books will still be speaking to people. People will still be reading these and being encouraged or learning things. So I just think it's really awesome. And that, that kind of encourages me to, you know, kind of reassess like what I'm pouring my time and effort into just literally seeing the picture of all your books, like kind of said all of that to me. So that was pretty cool. Thank you. Okay, so uh, I think we're uh, about to bring it to a close. I did want to um, ask you a couple more things um, sure. regarding uh, leadership, more specifically um, the next generation of leaders. Um, so when you think of young leaders or the next generation that you and your peers will eventually pass the baton to, um, what do you think is the the biggest word of advice that you would give to that next generation? Well, everybody's a prophet to their own generation and then you die and the next generation shows up and God has their own prophets and leaders for them. So, you know, I pretty much would tell a younger leader, uh, be humble on the way up because if you're prideful, God won't use you when you're on the top. And then once you're on the top, don't take yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kingdom of God gets along quite well without us. I, I, I think most leaders, uh, especially spiritual leaders, take themselves way too seriously. They have nothing to prove, no one to impress. Uh, we're just one more player in a 2,000-year drama. And uh, even those of us that get you know, a main stage headline role, as soon as we're done, he'll go next, 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 next. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I my... My main thing I tell people is, listen, do your best under the circumstances and then take a nap. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us are way, way too driven and think we're way, way more important than we are. Mm-hmm. And when we do, we, we hurt our spiritual health. We hurt our spouses. We hurt our kids. Um, it's, it's his church. It's his drama. And we just have a, we just have a role in it. So play it well and enjoy it. Uh, everybody talks like it's again like we're all more important than we are yeah we're, James says we're just a mist here today gone tomorrow yeah man so, that's so true that's, um, that's relaxing to know that yeah for sure how, so how would you say um, 
you know, given the platform that you have, and I'm sure you do a lot of things like this, like podcasts, speaking engagements, obviously leading your, your church. Um, is there a particular, like, are there any hobbies that you have or things that you do to kind of not only just unwind, but do like you said, where, where you're not taking yourself so seriously or there's, are there things that you do to kind of accomplish that? Yeah, I just always made sure I kept good boundaries to keep my, you know, I basically have three priorities in life, and that's I wanted to have a great marriage, I wanted to have great kids who love Jesus, and I wanted to have the best church I could. So mm-hmm. that means there's a whole lot of things to say no to, and um, at, the, at the end of the day, those are things I do to unwind. Uh, I, you know, I've tried not to run so hard that I have to have this big sabbatical or work so hard every single day that I have to have some vacation to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to run a long marathon, you got to just pace your life. And so for me, I don't really have a whole bunch of hobbies that I, Oh, finally now I can unwind. I tried to not, I live not too wound up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, okay. Last thing. Um, so, one of the things that I absolutely love to ask people because I feel like I've seen some, some very important people in my life, um, pass on. And it was a very, uh, I mean, each time it's just like, you can't believe that someone's gone and, um, you always remember certain things about people that spoke to you the most or the the most important moments that you have with people. And so whenever I talk to people in a setting like this, I love to ask that when you pass from this world, from this life, what, what is the one thing that you want to be remembered for? Or what is the one thing that you want to leave behind? I just want to be remembered. He was a good man. You know, uh, again, I'm, I'm not driven to be great. Uh, whatever success I have or don't have, I want to enjoy and I don't want to take too much credit for the success or too much blame if things don't go well. So I'm, and that's a, a pretty simple guy. I want people to stand around that uh, hole in the ground and especially those who knew me best say he was a good man. Because there's a lot of people who are great, well-known, have a byline in uh, the Christian post when they die, but those around him go, he wasn't really a very good man. Mm. Um, so that'd probably be it. And what I'd lead to people is, again, Christians have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Mm. Uh, just walk in, walk in obedience and see what happens. Wow. That's good stuff. That when I hear you say that, it just I feel like it just takes so much pressure off when, when you say it like that because I, I do feel like we we tend to like put this pressure on ourselves to, to present ourselves in a certain way or like, you know, make a certain impression on someone or especially with social media and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I love the Very way much. you put that because when you say it like that, it's just like, you really don't have anyone to impress like other than like you living your life for the Lord and like, you know, before his eyes. So I love the way you put that. Thank you. Um, okay. So I think that's about it. I really thank you so much for, for joining in and kind of sharing some of your story and some of your thoughts with us. I do appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, people, that was Larry Osborne. And once again, we want to thank Larry so, so much. Uh, big shout out to Larry and 
North Coast Church out in the great state of California. Thank you so much for all that you do, for sharing your words of wisdom and some of your life with us. Um, Peace and blessings to you and your family. Also, people do not miss the Century Leadership Experience, a one-year leadership development journey. This year's experience features three roundtables with today's great spiritual leaders. Larry Osborne of North Coast Church and the author of Sticky Teams, who we just talked to. Uh, Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales. And Rich and Robin Wilkerson of Trinity Church in Miami, Florida. Each of these roundtables is included in the experience along with great resources and great, great relationships that will last literally a lifetime. You can join the experience for only $400 by going to centuryleadership.com. Once again, only $400 and you can sign up at centuryleadership.com. And with that, guys, thank you so much for joining us today on the Century Leadership Podcast. My name is Jordan Matthew Ward and I am now signing off. Until next time, peace out.